My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. In case you missed it, the Republican primaries are going pretty well for Donald Trump. He's won Iowa, he's won New Hampshire with the ease of an orange ball full of hot air rising to the ceiling of a glass house. Nikki Haley is saying it ain't over until it's over or the big orange ball is convicted or struck by lightning. Marion McKeown has been out on the campaign trail, keeping tabs on everything so you don't have to. Marion, it's so great to have you. It's great to be here, Charlotte. I literally, I, I'm in D.C. now, just got back to New Hampshire and, oh, whew, what a whirlwind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would imagine you're exhausted. I asked you during the week to snap some shots. Uh, we need to get the images from the ground and share those with our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad because this, we, we have the sounds. We need the sights as well. Like, do you do you regularly snap when you're out there or do you tend to just have the pen and the pad out? Like, how does it, what does it work? How does it work for you? Do you know how it's working now? Because I've got a little bit more high tech is that instead of the pen and the pad, which is still my go to, I use the tape on the iPhone, but unfortunately, mm. when you're using the tape on the iPhone, then you can't be snapping the pictures. I need yeah. two iPhones, obviously. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're if you're listening, whoever is making iPhones. <laughs> but uh, so, and you know, I it's um, there's such a frantic snap, snap, snap. I'm you know, I don't do social media. I very, very occasionally do Twitter, but I've never done social media because I'm I'm an anti-snapper almost. I, mm. I'm a listener. Mm. You know, so um, so you so, then take those few, tapes. I have got a few for you. Do you oh, brilliant, great. We'll look forward to seeing those each each week. Uh, do you then transcribe what you've heard, or do you have a, a transcription service that does that for you? Are you having a laugh? It's like my transcription <laughs> service is me. <laughs> oh wow! Um, well, so, there's AI on the way to fix all that for you, Marion. Well, uh, I can't bloody wait. Uh, no, you know what? It's not that bad. I always have the notebook as well. And there is a thing that when somebody says something generally, although you, you, you talk to, the way it works is you talk to hundreds of people a day, literally. And especially in a place like New Hampshire where people are dying to talk and they never get put up. And the number of people I spoke to who would say, oh, you're the 27 journalists I spoke to today, but they're still dying to talk anyway. Yeah. Uh, because it, like literally, there are probably as many journalists as there are, um, you know, people at this stage. I think New Hampshire, when I was in Iowa, I kind of had this the bit of Iowa to myself that I was in. I was in this weird part of Iowa because a lot of, and it's interesting, Iowans have total contempt. It's a bit like the way people who live outside Dublin 
have contempt for Dublin and people mm. in Dublin to a degree because they think that they're know-alls and this, that and the <laughs> other. And indeed they may be right. Who knows? But anyway, uh, but in Iowa, if you're, if you're from Des Moines, they think you're just a liberal, that you're a hippie, you're a communist, you're a progressive, whatever. Uh, and Des Moines is, of course, the, the capital city. So I stayed out of Des Moines because it does become a bit of a circular wherever it's just an echo chamber because there are so many journalists who, who are there and the weather was so bad that a lot of time I think a lot of people were just sitting in hotels and and you know whatever so I got out to towards Council Bluff down all around there the southwest corner of Des Moines which is practically empty but weirdly fascinating and one of the things I was fascinated by is they have a huge number of spectacularly brutal murders and haunted houses. And when somebody gets chopped to death by an axe murderer in Iowa, they don't um, close down the house. They open it up as a tourist attraction. Tourist attraction <laughs> right away. Yeah, and you can pay to stay there overnight. And they tell you the blood hasn't even been washed off the floor. Oh and my God. Oh my God, it's so authentic. It's it's weird. But so Iowa was, um, it was more difficult. You could People would talk, but they were less um, incredibly friendly people and really lovely people in a lot of places. Uh but New Hampshire, they are all over politics. They know more about politics than I do. And and um, it was really, really interesting to, to hear what people have to say. Isn't it strange, though, when I open the show with the uh, triumph of Donald Trump in these two primaries, how much of a meltdown he had on stage the other night in a victory speech? And just a little note to Nikki. She's not going to win. She's not going to win. But if she did... She would be under investigation by those people in 15 minutes. Am I uh, reading that wrong or did everybody else see his behaviour, his words and his response to Nikki Haley, to Senator Tim Scott as a little bit off the reservation? Uh, you know, the, the weird thing is, Jarlath, and we've discussed this before, if you talk to any Republican who isn't standing next to Donald Trump at that moment, they will tell you they despise him, that he's a clown, he's a buffoon, he's a lunatic, he's a despot. And then they are so terrified of him and they're so craven and they also are so terrified they'll miss an opportunity to benefit from his craziness when he's handing out the jobs or the money or the contracts or whatever, that they will scuttle right in under mm. him and they will say, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you want, sir. And, the, you know, the, the example, to me, I was at the, at the event in Nashua and it was just horrible. Now you had, okay, you expect he won. He won by about 12 points. That is, you know, it, it's a good result for him. And Nikki Haley did say that. She said, well, congratulations, you know, he earned it, whatever. Uh, and then she said, but I'm not leaving you. Uh, and then, of course, everyone went mad. But uh, even though we knew earlier in the day, her press secretary had sent us all a statement saying, we're staying in here, not just to South Carolina, we're staying in until Super Tuesday. Now, you know, I've said this before that basically talk is cheap and campaigns are expensive. And, you know, the okay. two, the two, it costs millions and millions, almost a day, certain to keep these shows on the road. Right. Um, we saw Ron DeSantis spent $150 million for 23,000 votes. <laughs> he could just give oh. them all a bag of cash and oh. stayed at home. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's expensive. And Haley has been much better at managing money. She has spent about hundred, about $50 million so far. And, you know, she's got good value. I know that sounds like a lot, but she's she's got a lot better value for her than DeSantis, mm. certainly. So but, let me get this straight. Are you saying... Uh, in the way your parents might say, might threaten you 
that we're not going to go on the holiday if you don't start behaving. Uh, they've already paid for the holiday. Has she already paid for the campaign? And that's why she can't pull out of it. Now, this is something I was talking to her manager about very briefly. And of course, then she she just disappeared. And she is a very busy woman. I will say that. Uh, I think the impression I got is that she hasn't spent it all yet. She's still got a few bob um, in, in, in her purse, basically. But that there are donors, um, a couple of donors, the guy who owns Home, Home Depot, the Koch brothers, who are looking at, is it worth our while to just fund her, give her a couple more quid, not too much now, let's not let her go mad, no private planes, um, but to give her enough to just basically to trickle along to Super Tuesday because what is coming out of all this? And, and one of the reasons I think Trump was so angry and so deranged on the stage was that Yes, he's winning, but, and I've really noticed this, in 2016, 2015, when I started covering Trump first, you could not, his rallies were massive. They were massive. Mm. He was filling arenas in Vegas. He was filling arenas everywhere. Um, He's doing small events now, by comparison. He's getting less than half the crowds that he was getting. Now, 2020, isn't. there was no primary in 2020. Um, and then, of course, the campaign was run in COVID. So, there, you know, it, you can't compare. But uh, like he's holding events in places for Donald Trump that are they're they're pretty well like, you know, holding a gig in a phone box almost. And and they're half full. Like there was a big thing about he had the big event in New Hampshire, the rally in Manchester. Was it last Friday night? I'm losing track of the days. It was last Friday night. And, you know, I was there and yes, the front was all full. The, the place holds about eleven or 12,000 people. But after where they st- where you stop seeing on the camera, it's empty. So the bottom half was completely empty. So he got about 4,000 people in, which is not a bad number, but the weather wasn't that bad. It was a Friday night and you think that he would be able to fill it in the way that he used to, especially because for these MAGA people, they're there as much. They're there to see Trump, of course. But they're also there because this is their community. This is where they meet like-minded people. This is where they can say what they think. This is where they can meet people to date, where they can get one-night stands. There's a whole social substrata that goes on at these sure. events. You know, and and, um, and they're so, not showing up the way they used to. And they're not showing up. And then the other piece of this puzzle that we have is that independence. Now, the way the Republican Party is at the moment is you have about 37%, we'll say, 37, 38% who are hardcore MAGA. They will not vote for anyone else. Literally, if Jesus Christ came down and said, I'm running, they would chase him off the reservation. They will not vote for anybody except for Donald Trump. That vote is not transferable. It's like a tattoo, literally. Mm. And then you have about another 35, 36% who are Trump-leaning. They don't love Trump, but they see the benefits. They think, yeah, low taxes, you know, he'd sort out the border. Yeah, why not? You know, we're not, we're, they're never going to vote Democrat. So they'll be like, they'll, they'll hold their noses and they'll vote Trump. Um, and then you have about one in four Republicans who would literally rather set their grannies on fire than vote for Donald Trump at this stage. That's how hard they've become and how hard they've become against Trump. They despise him. And then, you know, and then apart from that, you have the, this sort of Venn diagram where, you know, independents, most independents are just moderate Republicans. They call themselves independents, but they can be persuaded in, in certain situations to either stay home or maybe even vote for a Joe Biden. Now, they were the ones who were all out for Nikki Haley. With these independents and with these um, never-Trump Republicans, they're saying if he's convicted, 
show's over. We're not sending a convict. We're not sending a convicted felon to the White House. And this is where you can see a softening and a questioning and that people, apart from the hardcore who who do not care if Trump is convicted of mass murder between now and and um, November, they'll vote for him anyway. But it, there, it, um, the rest of it, um, you sense it, you see it when you talk to people, there's an ambivalence. Okay. There really is an ambivalence now. But, well, and that's making him angry. And that was the thing with Nikki Haley, because all these people want her. So last night, one of the ugliest things, Charlotte, that I've seen, and I've seen Trump be really ugly, was at a certain point last night, it was like, you know, one of those medieval, I don't know, I was going to say Braveheart or something, but where where the, you know, the, the big warrior wins and then he lines up all the generals that he has basically vanquished and he puts them all behind him and they all have to doff the cap and bow to him. And behind him were all of the people he had pretty well beaten on the, the primary stage. You had Tim Scott, you had that clown Vivek Ramaswamy. You had, who else? There was Doug, Bo- Doug Burgum, mm-hmm. the guy from North Dakota <laughs> nobody heard of. And then he made them come out and do a turn at taking a pot shot at Haley as well for his edification. And the ugliest one was when he said to, now I'm paraphrasing, I did have it written down. Uh, he said to Tim Scott, Tim Scott is the um, junior senator for South Carolina. Nikki Haley was governor of South Carolina. She was elected for two terms. And in 2012, I think it was, or 2014, no, 2012, uh, the, the, the senator who was there um, resigned to become head of the Heritage Foundation. And she appointed, in that situation, the governor gets to appoint the stand-in up to the next election. She appointed um, Tim Scott, and he was the first black senator uh, in South Carolina, which is actually a pretty big deal. Now, Tim Scott turned around um, and basically repaid that by um, saying, well, I'm endorsing Donald Trump, even though she mm. was still in the race. And Tim Scott, he ran a terrible campaign. You know, he's 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 a, a, a black senator, as I said, and he does this happy warrior thing where America's not racist. I was poor. Look at me. I'm a senator now. He was a senator. He would never have won that race in his own. He was, he was installed basically by Haley. But then Trump turned around um, last night and said, you know, basically, how did, you know, you were appointed by Nikki Haley as senator and yet you still voted for me and endorsed me. And then he stopped and he said, you must really hate her. Yeah. And it was so ugly and nasty and vicious. And Scott, in that idiot way that he does, had this big grin on and said, oh, I just love you. Did you ever think that she actually appointed you, Tim? (laughs) And think of it, appointed, and you're the senator of her state, and she endorsed me. You must really hate her. (laughs) No, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh-oh. I just love you. No, that's good. that's why he's a great politician. Yeah. And you know, and and oh. it was just brave and, and cringe inducing. And you know, but for Trump to to be and he said several other things as well. He implied there's a lot of talk, and you know, I don't report it, and I and I certainly don't repeat it. There's a there's a lot of talk about Nikki Haley's personal life on the campaign trail. We'll just say that. And Trump keeps hinting and hinting and hinting, oh, you know, she's going to be investigated. There's going to be this, there's going to be that. And, you know, and and it's all this sort of slightly menacing threats. He was doing something similar with, um, sorry, Jarlis, w- w- with Ron DeSantis as mm. well. That, you know, and it's, 
And then you think, well, who are you in any case with your personal life to, to exactly, you know, nobody yeah. else has have to pay out five billion for a sexual assault, you know, um, finding by a civil jury. And never mind the, you know, the Stormy Daniels case, the, the criminal case and all that. So, but at the same time, there have been these attempts to rattle Haley by saying, we're going to out you and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Um, now, you know, Nikki Haley is a conservative, but you can really see, Jonathan, and this is one of the depressing things, frankly. Um, there is a presumption with with moderates and, and you know, never Trumpers that if Haley could just stay in the race, that, you know, she might be able to knock spots off Trump. And that even if she can't this time, well, come 2028, she's proven herself on the campaign trail. We know she can debate. We know she's smart. We know she can relate to people. And we know people like her. Mm. But there's a presumption that the Republican Party will go back to its old ways um, of the 1990s, you know, or, or the early, or the John McCain days. Trump is, you know, the people who I saw getting huge receptions, bigger than Haley even on the trail, were Matt Gates. That other lunatic from Florida, um, who the, you know, the next Republican leader isn't necessarily going to be a sober, responsible person. It could be a Matt Gates, it could be a Carrie Lake, it could be a Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, the party has changed, and I don't know that they can go backwards. Now, I don't know that they're going to go. Whoops, let's get another Mitt Romney. Look how silly <laughs> we were about Trump, because Trump has fundamentally altered the DNA of the party. It is now a white nationalist party. Mm. Well, let's get into our mailbag. Uh, we have a great questions submitted by you, the listeners, via Patreon. Yes. Again, patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad if you want to be part of the show. Mairead Coakley is in touch straight away, and it probably is a great segue to what we want to talk about in this next part of the show. She asks, is the whole Georgia investigation likely to be derailed with Fannie Willis's selection of special counsel coming under scrutiny? Is the mere appearance of impropriety enough to let Trump walk? And if so, does that indicate a huge double standard in comparison to Trump's own proven liability in the E. Jean Carroll case? Do the normal rules of politics and civil society just not apply to Trump? That's a weary Mairead Coakley. Thank you for your question. What do you say to that, Mairead? Mairead, that is honestly such a good question. And it is really hard. OK, let's just look at this the way it is now. And and let's, you know, forget about Trump's personal life because he is the defendant and defendants are not held to the same standards as prosecutors in these cases. Fannie Willis, now I say this having, you know, done a bit of looking around into this, there is smoke and it looks like there is fire. And I cannot believe that such a smart, hardworking woman could have been so unprofessional. Uh, it, it it really is shocking to me. And let's just say stupid. She was absolutely stupid because what happened here, and just for the gang out there, and I know you're all up on it, but just a quick recap. Uh, Fannie Willis, when she took on this case, which took enormous courage to do and said it was going to be a RICO case, etc. Everybody thought, you better get some shit hot prosecutors in here because this is going to be hard. This is, it's such a complicated case. Anyway, it's multifaceted. You had 19 defendants. Okay, about five now have have um, pled guilty and agreed to testify. But then she picks this lawyer called Nathan Wade, okay, in 2021 to lead the, the prosecution. And immediately people are going, hmm, Nathan Wade, he's not really a hotshot criminal prosecutor. He's done, he hasn't really done any work like this. 
you know, he was a municipal judge. He's got a moderate practice. He's never done tough criminal cases. And then people thought, and really, I was talking to, gosh, who was it? A while back, a, a lawyer friend of mine, and we were discussing it. And he said, benefit of the doubt, he said, well, maybe he's a really good administrator because sometimes what you need in these cases is somebody who is going to oversee the whole thing, who's going to know where all the bits of paper are, who's going to know who's handling what and who's, you know, who's going to be basically the manager mm-hmm. rather than this, you know, searing, brilliant lawyer who goes in and does the whole sort of like, you know, thing we were used to seeing on TV where they just rip the whole sort of defendant to shreds, etc. And so he was being presented as that as maybe a very safe, competent manager. Now, it turns out that there isn't really even any basis for that. Um, and then, of course, his wife um, divorces him. And in the divorce papers, um, there, there are references to basically our implications that he and Fanny Willis are romantically involved. Now, it does seem that that's the case. And we think it's the case because his credit card receipts show that he paid for flights for the two of them to various holiday destinations, shows that they paid to stay in hotels in uh, the Napa Wine Valley together, etc. And uh, so now, of course, one of, the, one of the 19 defendants, who is a guy who worked as an election official for Trump, is bringing this case, a guy called Michael Roman, and his lawyer is saying, whoa, 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 you know, hang on. What we have here is we have the district attorney who hires a prosecutor who is basically not even qualified. He's her boyfriend. He's then paid about $650,000 by her, and he uses it to take her away on holidays, on all these fancy holidays. Now, in truth, the holidays weren't that fancy. You know, the Doubletree Hotel in Napa Valley is not in the A-list of hotels up there, yeah, trust me. Yeah, uh, but, it, but that's it, it's not an affair hotel. Yeah, it, yeah and, but that's really not the point. So the problem for is that it's muddied, it's muddied, it's unethical. What she did is stupid and it's not ethical. She should not have hired somebody who she either was romantically involved with when she hired him or she became romantically involved with immediately afterwards. And this case is so important and so complicated and so critical because this is the case that I've always thought was the most important case, even more so than the Washington one, because it really does get into the nitty gritty, the coercion, the arm twisting, the whole, though it proves that this wasn't just a guy shouting crazy things, you know, up on the ellipse on January 6th, that long before that, that, that he and his people were all strategizing and taking steps to make sure that, you know, to try and sort mm-hmm. out fake electors, to try and make election officials change the results. You know, it showed the, the lengths that they went to. And plus, of course, it's a state criminal trial. So there's no pardon. There's no pardon for Trump. If he's convicted, he, he does jail time. And in a RICO case, jail time is mandatory. So well, Marion, it still brings me back there. around to the question, why would somebody as smart as Fanny Willis do this? Look, you know, the number of times you see very brilliant people, really dedicated people, really hardworking people who are just, I don't, it's like a blind spot Mm. that they just don't. And, you know, and it's so demoralizing for her whole staff because now, of course, this is exactly the distraction and and the, the the smear on this case that Trump wanted. And now the judge, who's a very young judge, he's only 34, I think he's not very experienced. He will, of course, err on the side of caution. There is a good chance. I don't think the case will be in any way struck out or dismissed. I don't think they can do that. And um, I think what may happen is that it may go to a different county now. It may be sent to another DA 
Um, Fanny Willis, I think, will, I can't see how she can stay on the case. Certainly Nathan Wade will be gone as mm. well. Um, and it's what happens to the case after that. Um, when and you say had, that, you, sorry. So yeah. when you say that there's good sources to confirm that there is truth in this and that this isn't just a smear, what are you saying by that? Like, I know you can't say who, but what do you regard as a reliable source on something like this? Well, I think in this that it's not just um, talking to other people who who work in the law in in you know who who work for for the state in in Georgia. What we're talking about here is there you know there are the receipts you know there are Nathan Wade's credit card slips that show Fanny Willis's name is listed as well on on the the airline tickets that he bought. Mm-hmm. You know it, it's he and Fanny Willis. I think she has she hasn't denied that they had an affair or that they're involved. Um, she does not want to be brought in in, in his divorce hearings. It now looks like she will be. Um, she's, but, but the judge has said, well, we're going to listen to Nathan Waite first. So basically, you know, it, the husband, as is correct, should have to respond before Fanny Willis is dragged in. But this is, you know, and, and of course people are saying, well, Nathan Wade's ex-wife is being used by Republicans. That may be true, but basically Fanny Willis created that opening. And mm. she should never have done that. She should never have done that. Her job, this case and her, and her job was too important. Okay, well, um, before I, we yeah. go to our break, Marion, I need to get a prediction off you. Uh, just for those that aren't members over on Patreon just yet. And I, I get it. Things things are tight. But I will tell you what, as this thing heats up, that's going to be good value for money. A fiver each month. And in return, you'll get the Excel conversation with Marion and with Sonia and of course access to the full back catalogue including Marion's brilliant scandal series that we did some time ago. You'll also get access to the Honey You're Reading Our Kid XL episodes that I make with Tina every week which honestly are the tonic I need to start every week. The laugh and the crack that we have over there is uh, it's just getting better and better the more comfortable Tina gets with uh, you know living in her expertise with these kids and some of the emails that we get. But uh, Marion before we go uh what is your prediction for these primaries? Like, will Nikki Haley give up the ghost? Like, is it possible that I've been in campaigns? You do. Is there a campaign craziness that sets in where you then wake up one morning and go, oh, what was I thinking? Of course I'm pulling out. I think that there is a campaign craziness. Now, her crowds haven't been huge, but people seem to really like her who turn up for her. I think that you start getting high in your own supply of love, don't you? You know, and your own supply of admiration. Everything going, <laughs> you got to save us. You got to save us, Nikki. You know, mm. we can't have Trump again. And, you know, in a way, I think she kind of blew it because she could have gone after Trump from the get go. Like, on what planet did she think that no matter how timid she was in her criticisms of Trump, that he was going to go, ah, that's okay, Nikki. You know what? You're <laughs> not being that mean to me. So yeah. I won't be that mean to you back. Mm. You know, uh, so, you know, she. Really, and it was interesting because I did speak with one elderly woman in New Hampshire and she said, you know, she only started taking shots at him when he made it clear he wasn't going to entertain her as vice president. And, you know, I thought, God, you know, you're actually right. And and again, this is where I said these New Hampshire voters, they're so, they keep their eye on everything. And Nikki Haley was doing this, well, chaos follows him. You know, I'm right. Chaos doesn't follow him. He creates chaos. Mm. It's, you know, she was acting as though he was being stalked by some malign shadow rather than the creator of the malign shadow. You know, he is the creator of the chaos. Mm. And she was being really passive in her criticisms. And 
you know, we can't afford it. And he was the right person at the time. And she was, and, you know, okay, it didn't work for Chris Christie, but Chris Christie didn't. He just came out as this big trundling bulldog who was going to take a bite out of Trump just for his own personal revenge because Trump kicked him around the place and didn't give him a cabinet position. So, but Haley didn't have that motivation and her criticism of Trump, I think would have carried much more water. I think it would have taken her further. But anyway, look, she's gone, basically. She's in South Carolina. She's 30 to 40 points behind in every poll. Trump has the entire South Carolina and this is her home state. She was governor there. She was a state representative there. He has every single politician in South Carolina lined up behind him against Nikki Haley. So I think you know, she's saying she'll stay into that South Carolina. She may, there's still this thing that if something happens to Trump, if he's convicted, if he's indicted, if he has a heart attack in May, you know, or April or whenever, before the convention, then as the person with the most delegates, and she's only got about 18 or 25 or something at this stage, then she might be first in line to be appointed at the convention. And there is an element of that, that she's hedging her bets there. But these are fever dreams, you know? Mm -hmm. These are the kind of fever dreams. I remember Ted Cruz at the 2016 (laughs) convention when he got up on stage and he had come second and had got quite a few delegates. And he said to the delegates there, obviously thinking that maybe there'll be one of these dark room, back room, smoky coups. You know, he said, vote your conscience, meaning vote for me. And he had to be escorted out of the arena and his wife because the crowd went so crazy. And that was just the delegates. That wasn't the MAGA nuts, you know. That was literally just the, the delegates who were sent by the different states. So the idea that there'd be some kind of a, you know, coup on the floor of the of the convention is it's kind of nonsense, really. So we'll see. That's a very long answer to a very short question. Yeah. But I, I think it's over. I think it's Trump. And I think that it's going to be a bloody awful 10 months, quite honestly, because this is starting way too early. We're going to have you listening. Normally, the the presidential candidates, they don't really kick off until the conventions, you know. So you're talking July, August to November. Now we're in January. I'm going to make the case for it not being a bloody awful few months, because my my belief is that you guys are going to want to listen to this, because to me... This is a rickety contraption that Trump has developed. Oh, yeah. It is. It has wheels Mm -hmm. made out of cardboard. And he's trying to convince himself that it's the chariot it once was. It is not. And there is every chance. I agree. It could all explode in on top of him. And you're going to need Marion McKeown as your guide through it. After the break, I'm going to put this question to Marion. It comes from Michael Kelly. What's Marion's thoughts on the conundrum around the Trump indictments? I think it's fair to say they had to be taken forward for the interests of rule of law and clearly there's such egregious behaviour has to have consequences. However, they only seem to have increased his profile, emboldened him and allowed him to claim victimhood and rallying his core behind him. Will they eventually wear him down and will enough right-minded people be put off him to see him eventually defeated? Find out the answer after the break over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn 
any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our...